Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Monday, January 25th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes, our tribe beat writer. Hoynesy, uh, it was uh, an interesting weekend uh, in, in the world of baseball. Uh, the passing of uh, basically a legend in, in Hank Aaron uh, on Friday sort of, uh, you know, opened the weekend and, uh, you know, brought up all sorts of, of memories of, you know, his chase for Babers home run record, but also just what a, a, an incredible, you know, just icon and figure he was, not just to the baseball world, but also, uh, you know, really to the black community and to everyone in the United States who, who just took something away from what Hank Aaron meant to, uh, you know, baseball and, and, and really uh, the United States as, as a whole. What were your feelings when you heard and you learned that that Hank Aaron had passed uh, on Friday? Yeah, Joe. First of all, saying, God, I mean, uh, you know, what a terrible run, you know, uh, uh, we've seen with uh, MLB Hall of Famers, you know, since the start of last year. I think there's ten or, or eleven guys have died, you know, and and not just not just you know run of the mill Hall of Famers if you can call them that, but uh, you know, like Mount Rushmore Hall of Famers. Uh, you know, uh, Hank Aaron, uh, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, uh, Joe Morgan, Whitey Ford, uh, Al Kaline, uh, Tommy Lasorda, Don Sutton, guys like that. that Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver, yeah. Just, uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And just, you know, it's it's really devastating, you know, to baseball, to the fans, and uh, to the Hall of Fame. But with Aaron, you know, I think uh, – you know, this is a guy that really was chasing, you know, America's, you know, favorite boss, ball player in, in, in uh, Babe Ruth and uh, got death threats and, uh, and finally passed him, you know, with the, you know, the, the home run record that no one thought would, could, could be broken when he hit the 715th home run. And uh, just a, a guy that, you know, Joe, I never really looked into his career. I mean, I looked at it, but I mean, you just study that career and just how consistent this guy was as a player and what, 20, 20 straight seasons with 20 or more homers. Uh, he had 15 seasons with 30 or more homers, never hit really 47, more than 47 homers in a season. But, 
He stole bases. He was a 30-30 guy and a 25-time All-Star. I mean, it just kind of it's it's blows you away in over like 23 years, and it's it's just a, a 23-year career. So, geez, and and they, and to do that in uh, you know the last one of the few. Well, I think probably the last big leaguer that had played and started in the, in the Negro leagues, you know, started his career there. So uh, just a, a great career, a great guy. And, uh, and just, uh, you know, he, uh, he did it under really, really tough conditions. Right. He, uh, he went on after his career to, to really sort of have, to, to be like that, that ambassador that, that, that baseball needed uh, to, to sort of bridge generations and, and make sure that, uh, you know, just like Jackie Robinson, he, he wanted to make sure that more, there were more black players getting involved in the game and, 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 and promoted their causes as well. Uh, I remember he was, when the Indians dedicated the, the Frank Robinson statue, uh, he was at the, the ballpark uh, on Heritage Plaza, uh, Frank Robinson, who, also passed away last year around this time um there the statue that's there as the the first black manager in baseball and and hank aaron was there uh to to mark the occasion uh and and just a, a just such a beloved figure uh it's spoken so glowingly uh by you know the the other writers around the league and and those who who followed especially in atlanta where uh you know, he was from Alabama, but Atlanta was sort of his uh, adopted uh, uh, home in that in that regard. Just uh, just one of those luminary figures. I, I still can't get over the he's number one in, in RBIs. He's got over, what, 1600 yeah. RBIs. Uh, yeah. You know, that's another mark that might never be broken. Over you know, RBIs and total bases. And he still I mean, he retired like in 75, 76. You know, Joe, I saw him uh, hit his first American League home run. Uh, he was finishing his career with uh, with the Brewers, and I think it was like seventy five, maybe or seventy six. Hit it off Gaylord Perry at the oh, at wow. the stadium. Yeah, so it, and uh, uh, it was, I just I remember that, and that's uh, pretty cool. And you know, this is a guy that showed the image that sticks out to me. You know, Aaron while he was chasing Ruth was you know, you know, getting death threats and and had boxes of hate mail, and he kept that, kept all that. You know, and to motivate him, he kept all that mail years after he, he still had it. And uh, when he finally hit 715 and he's going around the bases, you know, two two white kids jump on the field and, and run around the bases with them to celebrate. And I, I was just thinking of that, you know, just this is a black guy, a black man that had been, you know, racial. I mean, just, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, followed with all this hate and vile just because of, of you know, the color of his skin and, the, you know, kind of the first two people that greet him were these two white kids who were just having a heck of a time running around the field. And, and it just stuck with me with that image. And, uh, you know, I wonder, you know, what the rest of the country or the rest of the world thought about that. It was probably pretty scary for him if he's out there. Yeah, he, it looked like uh, it him. Well, uh, you think about all the threats that were, were coming true for it in, in that moment after he hit second base, and those two guys caught up with him, you know, he probably thought, oh, wow, they really meant it when they said they were going to get me if I passed him. I, uh, I mean, think about it, how terrifying that had to be for him. Uh, but, you know, it all, it, I guess it all worked out. That's, that's not <laughs> the image for me when I see that, uh, that video is 
oh man, I'm, I'm glad he didn't turn around and like haul off and punch one of those guys because that would have sort of ruined the moment. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we um, asked our subtext subscribers who sometimes uh, tend to skew uh, maybe on the little bit uh, more veteran side, I guess, if, if we can say that. Uh, we asked our subtext subscribers on in Indian subtext. Uh, you can subscribe by uh, going to uh, cleveland.com slash subtext or uh, join subtext.com slash Cleveland Indians. And it's three, uh, $3.99 a month. A great opportunity to get insight and information uh, from Hoinsey and myself, but also to share your opinions on topics uh, uh, about the Indians or about baseball in general. Uh, we asked you guys to give us your impressions of Hank Aaron and what you remember about his chase for uh, 715 uh, way back in 1974, back before I was uh, uh, born. I think at the time my parents were uh, about 13, uh, about what, 13 days away from getting married. So I wasn't even a twinkle yet at, at the time. Uh, but here are some of your responses. Uh, Patrick in Garfield Heights writes that he was 15 years old doing homework and had the TV on to watch. He didn't realize he'd be watching history or one of the greatest ever when uh, Al Downing served up that home run on, uh, I believe it was April 8th of- uh, Yeah, April 8th. April 8th of 1974. Uh, this writer from the, uh, from the 614 area code says, I was a little guy at the time, but like you, I've seen the highlights many times. So the, the like you were saying that that video of Aaron rounding second base and getting greeted by uh, those two guys down in Atlanta um, who ran with him around the bases uh, briefly that that's one of those indelible video memories that we all see the highlights played over and over again. Uh, here's a, another writer. Uh, he said he says. Uh, I remember it well I was in Pittsburgh sitting in Taylor's pub in Shadyside. And that was a tough place for Cleveland fans. Uh, my boss's last name was Downing. So needless to say, I had some fun with my boss the next day. Uh, so that's, that's an interesting take there. By, yeah, uh, that's good. By a guy. Uh, all right. From the 419 area code, uh, he writes, it was a nationally televised game that night. So I was in front of our TV. My favorite memory is the scrum for the baseball in the Braves bullpen. Tom House, a relief pitcher, came up with the ball and brought it in and presented it to Hank. House went on to be a noted pitching coach and a baseball movie consultant, even a football quarterback's mechanics coach for Tom Brady. So that's interesting. I, I, you know, you know Joe, here. Tom House, Tom House, when he was, he was a pitching coach for Texas, mm -hmm. he was a pitching coach for a bunch of teams. He's the first guy that had pitchers throwing footballs to each other. If you mm -hmm. ever see that, you know, they, to get the, he said the motion kind of replicated that of a pitcher. You got, right. And so you, know, you used to see, you don't see it so much anymore, but a lot of guys you would see uh, pitchers out there throwing, throwing footballs around. Okay. A couple more here. I actually, from the same, uh, the same guy in, in uh, the Toledo area code. Uh, I also remember the previous late summer, Hank didn't quite make it, make the record in 1973. He reached 713. So the anticipation during the offseason was huge. The 1974 season started in Cincinnati against the Braves, and many wanted Hank to sit out the opening series so he could tie and break the record in Atlanta. He tied it with 714 in Cincinnati and then moved on to Atlanta to break it. 
that's interesting that uh, that the, there were calls for Hank Aaron to sit out the first series in Cincinnati so that he didn't break the record too quickly. Yeah, that's, they were they were looking for a sellout in uh, down in Atlanta. They wanted to sell some tickets to that one. Well, if, if he would have hit seven fifteen in Cincinnati, you know the, the the gate sales in Atlanta probably wouldn't have been all that uh, you know robust uh, the, the the following series. Uh, this guy writes that he remembers the song Move Over Babe, Here Comes Henry, the lyrics by Ernie Harwell, the music written by my Tigers pitcher, Bill Slayback. So there, and he, he provided a YouTube link, but I guess that doesn't exactly translate right here uh, <laughs> on our podcast. Finally, here's a, here's a Hank story from Bud in Arizona. He says, I was living in Houston during the mid 80s and did a power station repair job at Phillips Petro and became friends with the maintenance superintendent. And we talked baseball during the job. He had great stories to talk uh, to tell about Hank during the 1960s and early 70s when the Braves played the Colt 45s. Hank wasn't allowed to stay at the team hotel, so he stayed with my friend whenever the Braves were in town. He told me Hank was the kindest and most humble man he ever met. He never heard Hank complain about the horrible racial injustices and never took advantage of his baseball fame. When Hank was in town, he was just Hank the man and not Hammer and Hank the baseball icon. If ever there was a sports uh, a sports model, it was Hank. Rest in peace, Hank. The world was a better place when you were in it. And so, so really touching from from Bud, who who knew a guy who used to have to have to board Hank Aaron when he uh, <laughs> he came into town because because there was a, he wasn't allowed to stay with his teammates. That's that, that to me in, in this day and age just seems the, the craziest thing. Uh, but, but again, you're talking about a guy who, who was probably one of the best and most well-rounded hitters in the history of the game. Yeah. I mean, Joe, I mean, he, you take away 755 home runs. He still had over 3000 hits. You know, so he still would have gotten a hall of fame. And he was a huge Browns fan, Joe. He was, I guess, uh, you know, when I covered the Browns a long time ago, there was, I remember a couple of times, you know, you would see, he, you would look around and there was Hank Aaron at practice, you know, <laughs> and you were sitting there thinking, what, is that really Hank, you know, is that really Hank Aaron? At and he said, you know, he, he told the reporters that, you know, sometimes he, he disguised himself and sit in the dog pound. And, uh, you know, Bobby DiBiasio, who's still working for the Indians, uh, told me that every every Friday during the football season, he'd get a call from Aaron and he'd want updates on on the Browns. You know, he, so he saved all the papers from the week and would, would tell them who's healthy and who's hot, who's not. And he, so I, it's 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 weird like that. And in the day in the day he um, he broke a babe's record. You know, Bowie Kuhn was the uh, commissioner mm -hmm. and Bowie was in Cleveland, giving an address, talking, giving a uh, address to the Wahoo Club because he'd made a commitment to the Wahoo Club so and be instead in of being in, in Atlanta to watch history. Uh, very interesting. Bobby DiBiazio, Browns insider. I didn't know that that was uh, <laughs> one of uh, one of Bobby D's titles. I think we'll have to. We'll have to uh, bust his chops the next time we're we're able to see him in person in a, a at the ballpark uh, uh, to, to talk about that. But very interesting to note that uh, 
Bobby D and Hank Aaron used to talk Browns in the off season. Wow. Yeah. Bobby, Bobby said every Friday you get two calls in the morning, one from Hal Levowitz, you know, the PD sports editor for his mm-hmm. Sunday notes. And, and the next one from, uh, from, from hammer and Hank. Crazy. That's uh, really, uh, really interesting. All right. Uh, moving on from, from one hall of famer uh, legend to uh, potentially others. Uh, the, the vote for this year's hall of fame is, is coming up. The, the results are, are set to be released tomorrow evening, six o'clock uh, on major league baseball network uh, Tuesday here uh, right now, tracking the, the top vote getters. It looks like uh, as of right now, Kurt Schilling is a strong possibility to be, to be named and on uh, three fourths of the ballots, uh, get that 75% and, and, and get in uh, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens tracking just below the necessary 75%. Uh, so they will, will likely not be in uh, and, and Omar Vizquel looking like, uh, you know, the guy who had, had been up in the, in the 50% range uh, looks like he's, he's dropped off slightly. Uh, what's the, the latest that you're hearing in regards to that? Yeah, uh, Omar was, you know, at 52.6% uh, last year at the end of last year's balloting. I thought he was in a great, like we talked before, Joe, I thought he was in a great spot to really move up maybe 60, 65% this year. There wasn't a, you know, the, 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 in the uh, 2021 class didn't uh, include a, uh, you know, a can't miss guy or a first ballot guy. And I thought the, the path was open for him. And then the uh, domestic violence story broke from, with the ath- athletic. And I think that's really, really hurt him. And, um, you know, I think the last time, you know, the, the people that, that keep track of the vote, the voting, Ryan uh, Thurbido, I, I can't, I can never say Thibodeau. that. Thibodeau. Thibodeau. And uh, he, he's, he's tracking the uh, votes that have been made public. And he has them at a uh, 40%. Now you sometimes, you know, when the, when the votes get announced, uh, uh, th- those tend to, uh, it might jump a little bit, but that's a significant drop. And, uh, you know, I don't, you know, and, you know, and, uh, and I think a lot of voters voted before this story came out. So we're, the repercussions of this story, you know, you know, are going to really influence Omar, not even, not this year, but next year as well, as, as more details come out. Yeah. You could maybe see uh, an even greater drop there. Uh, there's a possibility. Uh, you know, and that's a, a character issue and that bring that's not an on, on field, you know, discussion. Omar is very worthy uh, character issues. Those come into play sometimes with these voters, particularly with the, the steroid era guys and and that. But it's interesting to note that Kurt Schilling uh, is a guy who, you know, the voting was all done before the end of the year, before December 31st. You had to have your ballots in. Yeah. Kurt, Kurt Schilling is a guy who's tracking right now to be in. And that was, uh, you know, voters were, were at the time looking past his, uh, I want to say conservative or right-wing views, his, the things that he said that have uh, sort of put him in a, a negative light in that regard. But after the Capitol uprising on January 6th, he came out and supported some of the insurrectionists and in what they did. And we've now got stories of at least one or two guys who voted for Schilling in this last cycle who have said, who have inquired as to whether or not they can rescind their vote and, and take it back. So 
Kurt Schilling comes out. He's he's Mr. Breitbart. He's Mr. Right Wing, you know, Trump supporter, whatever. Uh, for a while, it had held him back a little bit. This year, it looks like he's going to get in. And now he comes out and supports violent insurrectionists. Uh, you know, rightfully, rightfully or wrongfully, they're going to ask if they can take their votes back, which they can't. But meanwhile, Omar is over there getting, you know, losing his yeah. support as well. I, I really, there's just no consistency on character issues among the Hall of Fame voters. Yeah, either, you've and, got, either you've got Hall of Fame character or you don't. And, and, and I, there, I, is a, there is a character clause in the voting. I mean, you're supposed to take that into account. I think, uh, what do I say? I might not, I might be, I might be wrong on that. There, I, I believe there's a, a morals clause yeah, somewhere yeah. in there where, where it says that, you know, you're supposed to take into account whether this is a, a Hall of Fame worthy person, not just ball player. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Schilling to me almost seems like he doesn't want to get in. I mean, this is a guy at 70, got, was at 70% of the vote, Joe last year i mean you only one other player i think has has not get all got elected you know in in the history of the hall of fame when he's reached a 70 uh 70 threshold and uh this guy seems to i mean i i don't know what his point is you know i i really don't or is he, is he like thumbing his nose at, at the at the writers and and saying you know i i can say anything you want and if you don't elect me you know, it's, it's on you, you know, I mean, I, it's, it's, a, it's such a weird, weird thing. And I, I've read a bunch of stories where guys that had vo voted for him in the past were no longer voting for him, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tough situation and I don't get it. I, I, I'm not sure what this guy is angry about. If, if you stripped away all the off field stuff away from baseball and just looked at his baseball career and what he did and what the games he won and the times he pitched Kurt Schilling is on his face a hall of famer uh, I don't think there's a lot you can argue about that if you go by just the numbers but like you said all he had to do was keep his mouth shut between this time last year and now and he could easy he would sail in there would be no question about any of that other stuff but he continues to push and he continues to make this make his Hall of Fame candidacy more about his character than about his play. And I, I don't understand how anybody can vote for someone who now has, has since the ballot, if, if he had come out and said any of this or if January 6th had happened, you know, before the ballots were due, I think this would that would have really hurt him uh, in a lot of ways, because just like the way. Uh, you know, people in Congress shouldn't be supported for trying to take down the election. I don't think, uh, you know, Kurt Schilling should be elected in regards to his his support of those insurrectionists. That's just not something I see as, as happening. He's on the ballot again. It, was this his last year yeah. of eligibility? No, he's got one more year left. This is so. this is his uh, second. This is this is Schilling's. Uh, let's see. This was Schilling's ninth year, so he's on one more. He's on one more. Yeah. If he if he yeah. somehow doesn't make it this year, I don't see how he gets the support in his final year. Yeah, uh, a lot of people a lot of people say no one will get elected to this hall. Yeah, uh, you know that that this Hall of Fame class, and you know that could be right. I'd hate to see it. 
you know, but you know, we've got the overlap from last year because right. there was no, you know, no, no, no ceremonies last year, but, uh, but, uh, you know, and, and we've had like, you know, God, we've had like the last 10, 12 years, we've had like a ton of big, huge classes, a lot yeah. of huge classes get in and, uh, you know, you know, quality, quality players get in too. Bonds and Clemens uh, still have this year and next year eligibility. Yeah. Bonds, Clemens, Schilling and Sosa are in their ninth year. This is their ninth year. So they've got one more year to go. Very interesting. All right, moving on. Manny's in his fifth year, so he's got five more to go. Yeah, I don't don't know about Manny. Manny Manny is going to stay at about 30 to 35%, unfortunately. Yeah, That's my prediction. All right, moving on. Uh, We did find out uh, former Indians closer Brad Hand agreed to terms with the Washington Nationals on a one-year contract. One year, $10.5 when he was set with an option for the Indians at $10 with a $1 million buyout, but the Indians uh, cut him loose, didn't pick up the, uh, the option. So he really made an extra half million dollars by, by becoming a free agent and, and signing with the nationals. Yeah. I, I just, this is such a weird thing. I, I mean, Hey, is that, is that really the market for Brad hand? It was 16 for 16 and, you know, for saves led the big leagues and saves, uh, games led American league and games finished. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, there probably is some concern because his fastball velocity has dropped, but he was, you know, slider was still, he's still striking people out. Uh, so maybe, you know, maybe they, people weren't looking at him as a closer, but the thing, the weird thing is Joe, if, if, if you knew what you do now back when they didn't pick up his option, the end is, wouldn't he be tempted to pick up his option and maybe try to trade him? And uh, maybe he could have got something. I don't know what, what you could have got in, in return, but maybe maybe they were scared of the market. There, there just wasn't a market, and they just didn't think they'd get a, a good return for him. Yeah, and then, you're, and then you've got $10 million, Brad Hand yeah. sitting there as your highest paid player. Uh, as it turns out, it only cost him a million dollars in the, in the buyout for, for that option. Uh, and you yeah, got Karen Check. you've got Karen check. I, 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 what you said is probably true. I think maybe a lot of teams weren't looking at him as a closer, maybe as an eighth inning guy, because he's effective against righties. He can get both sides of the plate out. Uh, he, he really does slot as, as more of a, an eighth inning guy now to, in, in my mind. Uh, also he, he lives, I believe in, in Jupiter, Florida, and that's right around where the national right. train, like he's it, like in their backyard, uh, in, in terms of, uh, spring training. So that's nice for him. Uh, I don't know if that was a, a big reason why he signed there, but uh, you know, it just be interesting to see uh, he's, he's in the the national league East. He's going to be facing some of the, <laughs> some of the best in baseball that that national league East is, is the most competitive division right now on paper uh, that, that uh, baseball has uh, heading into the season, uh, probably along with the national league West. Um uh, speaking of divisions getting more competitive, uh, the rich get richer as the Yankees trade for Jamison Talion from the Pirates. Uh, the Pirates right now are basically every team's uh, AAA uh, <laughs> affiliate as they've traded away Joe Musgrove. They've now traded away Jamison Talion, uh, who had uh, an, an advocate in the Yankees clubhouse in terms of Garrett Cole, a former teammate who said, hey, if you're going to bet on somebody, bet on Jamison coming back from 
his second elbow surgery. Uh, so Aaron Boone and the Yankees rolled the dice. They, they traded four prospects to get Talion. Uh, now the, the Yankees rotation looks like you've got Cole Severino, Kluber, Talion in the mix, Jordan Montgomery. Uh, they're, they're shaping into a, a decent enough starting rotation. Yeah, and at Deve, Deve Cruz, Deve, and they brought Deve a couple Cruz, guys yeah. in, you know, on minor league deals. Uh, uh, Shaquin, uh, Shaquin is is in there. Um, so, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting because they lost so many guys, Joe. Do they, you know, uh, who'd they lose? Uh, you know, Tanaka, uh, Paxton. Tanaka, yeah. So, you know, and uh, so, so uh, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that rotation comes together for sure. Sure, definitely. And and the Pirates have made all these trades. They traded Josh Bell to, mm -hmm. to Washington, and they've got like 14 prospects for all this year. So I guess Ben Sherrington, you know, they're going to have a lot of players to sort through. Derek Shelton and Ben, Sher ben uh, Sherrington are going to have a lot of players to sort through in, in, in spring training. And uh, the rebuild has begun in serious, serious nature in, in, in Steel City. Is it is it possible to tear things down past the studs? That's what, uh, <laughs> that's what they're doing in Pittsburgh. Uh, our friend Anthony Kastrovins from MLB.com uh, tweeted something funny. He said, uh, I don't know who's going to win the NL East this year because there's a lot of teams that are in it. Uh, I don't know who's going to win the NL East this year, but I know who's not going to win the NL East. Uh, our, and... and uh, uh, I'm sorry, the NL Central. I see. I'm the sorry. Is the NL so, like I know who's going to win the. Uh, I don't know who's going to win the NL Central, but I know who's not. And it was the uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Boy, I screwed that up, didn't I? All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of young pitching prospects, we did get a chance uh, on Friday to talk to Tristan McKenzie from the Indians. Uh, boy, I I'll tell you what. For for 23 years old, Tristan McKenzie is polished and a pro at doing press. He is, uh, he speaks in, in perfect quotes and, and has well thought out responses. Uh, it's going to be a joy over the next four or five years to cover Tristan McKenzie. And just as long as his attitude stays as positive as he is, uh, he, he was really a pleasure to talk to uh, on Friday and just get his thoughts on a lot of things. He didn't say much. He didn't reveal much, but uh but it was still interesting to talk to him and, and a lot of fun. Uh, I think the biggest thing that we took away from McKenzie's time talking to us there was uh, he wants to go to that next level. He wants to sort of pick everybody's brains. And, and now that he's gotten a taste and he's seen what, you know, it's like every day to day in the big leagues, he's, he's got that blueprint in that path and he's just going to sit there with a notebook and, and study everybody and, and take something away from Corey, Clu uh, not Corey uh, Shane Bieber, Corey Kluber, geez. Uh, take something away from Shane Bieber. Learn from Zach Plesak and Aaron Savali, guys that he talks to every day. Uh, just a, a really interesting uh, sort of 10, 15-minute conversation with uh, Tristan McKenzie. What did you uh, take away from that? Yeah, I agree, Joe. His, his answers, you know, he always says something, but he's kind of short and sweet. He's short mm -hmm. and concise. You know, he's not going to sit there and ramble and get himself into trouble which is a good thing. You've been telling, I, I don't know if the Indians have a media coach or what, but uh, they've made an impression on him. And, uh, you know, I like the fact that uh, he said, I asked, I think somebody asked him, did you go on vacation uh, 
uh, after the season. He goes, no, he just went home, you know, and uh, spent time at home in Florida. And as opposed to last year, last winter, where he was in Goodyear the whole winter rehabbing. He and said, he said his, he, oh, go ahead. You're going to get to it. No, no, go on, go on. Go on. He, he said his vacation was staying home and eating his mother's cooking. Yeah. That's what so it hopefully, was. hopefully he gained a few pounds. Yeah. That's, that's all. <laughs> but uh, I, I really liked what he said uh, about uh, uh, Hank Aaron. You know, he was asked about that. And he's a 23-year-old kid. I mean, he was born, I think, maybe over 20 years after Hank's last last season in the big leagues. But he, you know, he knew about him. He, he said just the right things. You could tell this kid is, uh, you know, he, he's paying attention. He's, he's, he's got, and uh, he just said, you know, we've lost one of, you know, the black uh, pillars of baseball. They're one of the pillars of baseball. You know, when, when you talk about Hank Aaron, you say home run king. And uh, just uh, really, really, uh, you know, kind of just, just great answers and uh, a thoughtful kid. You could tell he's just not saying the first thing that comes comes to his mind. Right. Now, he was asked about what it was like coming home and spending the offseason with his younger brother, who is uh, an infielder at Vanderbilt. And after now, he's he's made it to the big leagues. He's he's realized that dream. And, you know, the, he was asked whether he's walking around, you know, sort of puffing out his chest big time and his brother. Um uh, in in front of the you know the family at, at, when you're spending time at home, and he said no. He said he said this is this is it. We're, we're it's the real. It's everything that we dreamed it would be. And it, when he's talking to his brother and, and saying, you know, what what you pictured it was going to be, that's what it's like. It, he said it was uh, just. He had a, a real appreciation for even just the the eight games he appeared in, and you know the the, the month and a half that he spent in in the big leagues this past uh, season. So. Again, yeah, everything was weird. No, uh, no debut in front of you know a crowd full of people for him. No, no big league debut that that was sort of taken away from him by the by the virus. But uh, you know the, the experience I think is is going to help him, and and I guess he still qualifies for as a rookie this this upcoming season if he if he spends a year on the on the roster. Yeah, oh, that's good. He, he's, he he would be eligible for you know rookie of the year consideration if he's. This is his upcoming season will be his rookie year. So one to watch for definitely for, and I don't think Karen check would, uh, would qualify as a rookie. No, year. I think he's, he's, uh, yeah, he's seated. Yeah. I, I like the fact, Joe, that, that Tristan was calling Bieber and texting police act and Savali and exchanging notes and just talking to him and talking to your teammates, I'm sure kind of picking their brain or just like he texted police act to wish him happy birthday. You know, that that's, it shows you, you know, that he's he's thinking he's he's learning and uh, you know he's got a good head on his shoulders. All right. Well, one thing that Tristan McKenzie didn't know or didn't uh, you know didn't really have the answers to was when he's going to report to spring training or when the the club expects him uh, to to you know sort of get things underway. Uh, we're we're still unsure. I think Major League Baseball hasn't made any sort of announcements or anything. Uh, with the way that the coronavirus is is still sort of raging across the country, and the uh, the rollout of the vaccine being uh, you know slow as it is, I what do you think the chances are that we're going to start spring training on time and get everything going on time? You know that's a great question, Joe. You know I know uh, you know Commissioner Rob Manfred, uh, Paul Dolan, uh, and Terry Francona talked to uh, the corp the Indians corporate sponsors last week 
late last week and Manfred's message was, you know, we intend to open the season on time and spring training on time. You know, the regular season opens April 1st. Uh, spring training is scheduled to open around February 17th. But I've also heard, you know, from, from like you said, with Tristan McKenzie, we also talked to uh, Andres Jimenez and, and uh, Ahmed uh, Rosario last week, the two infielders the Indians received in, from the Mets in, in, in the Lindor Carrasco deal. And they didn't know when they were reporting to spring training. I mean, that, that's a date you have circled on your calendar. Right. You know, as soon as, like two weeks after the, the, end of, the end of the previous season, I've also heard, you know, they, uh, teams still don't know how many uh, players are going to be allowed in the, uh, at, at the complex at the same time, at the spring training complexes at the same time. The roster sizes are still up in the air. Uh, the use of a universal DH is still undecided. So there's a there's a lot of balls in the air here right right now, Joe. And you know, I I would think you know somebody's got to kind of make a right a, drop the hammer here and make a decision pretty soon because what what is it? It's uh, April. I mean, it's January twenty twenty second, twenty third, or twenty fifth, right? Twenty fifth. Oh, it's twenty fifth. Yeah, we're, so, we're getting closer. Uh, breaking news right here. Uh, I just got a text saying that we should anticipate a, uh, a Zoom this week with uh, Indians uh, Public Relations Department, uh, Baseball Operations Department, uh, discussing spring training specifics with reporters. So maybe there is, maybe we're moving at a glacial pace, but uh, maybe there is some some light at the end of the tunnel here. We, we could be looking at some answers uh, pretty soon. So uh, we'll, we'll keep a, an eye on that. We'll keep an eye on uh, how the Hall of Fame voting turns out tomorrow night. We'll be back with you on Wednesday with another edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Hoinsie, we'll see you then. All right, Joe.